Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swaddlers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swaddlers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better than the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Living Well with Janet, where we explore what it means to live well. I'm your host, Janet, a yogi, meditator, plant-forward eater, and all-around wellness enthusiast. I'm also a second-generation Asian-American woman, an experimenter, and a deep thinker. Join me in my conversations and contemplations on the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, social, and environmental aspects of living well. The state of world affairs and all of the trickle-down effects have been incredibly bleak, to say the least. And not even lately, but to say the last couple of years. And the word trauma has been bubbling up everywhere. I've been seeing it in articles, seeing it in posts, hearing about it on the news, on podcasts. And so I wanted to dedicate an episode to exploring this topic. Trauma. What is it and what are ways that we can cope with it? To help me in this journey and exploration of the topic of trauma is an award-winning practicing mental health therapist and educator, Dr. Monica Band. She specializes in providing trauma-informed care for Black, Indigenous, people of color with an emphasis on Asian American Pacific Islanders and LGBTQIA communities. Dr. Band, or Monica, as you'll hear her prompt me to address her as, has advanced clinical training in addressing attachment issues in adults with complex trauma using EMDR, or eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which is a type of therapy that I've heard a couple of close friends and friends of friends more recently try with some pretty great results. So she has clinical training in this type of therapy, as well as somatic mindfulness-based interventions. She's also the owner and founder of a group private practice, Mindful Health Counseling Services, LLC, based in Washington, D.C., and she is also the host of a new podcast called I Need to Ask You Something from Lemonada Media and the Jed Foundation, which is a timely series featuring stories about mental health told directly from teens across the country. 
I'm really excited to share with you all this conversation that I had with Monica. You can tell from her background that she is very well trained and, you know, has a lot of clinical experience speaking with people, not only obviously through her medical practices, but also through journalism and media through her podcast. So before we get into that conversation with her, I know that this in general is a pretty heavy topic. So whether you're driving or you're sitting at your desk getting some work done or maybe listening while you're on a walk, I want to invite you to take a nice deep breath with me before we get into this conversation. And if you want, and if it's safe, you can also close your eyes for a deeper effect. So we're going to take in oxygen from our nose and release through the mouth. Are you ready? Breathe in. And release. Okay, here we go. So today's episode is focused on trauma-informed therapy and youth mental health. As someone with many nieces and nephews, both blood-related and chosen family-related, I care a lot about the topic of mental health for a generation that is growing up in a very challenging landscape of tragic and complex world issues on top of technological overwhelm. No matter your own age, your culture, or your circumstance, almost everyone can benefit from better understanding the role that trauma plays in one's well-being and learn about methods for better coping in today's chaotic world. So with that, I want to start our conversation with Dr. Monica Band, who is so gracious to be with us here today, and I'm so excited to speak with you, Dr. Band. Monica, or (laughs) that's a little... You are welcome to call me Monica. Yes, we're all friends here. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Monica. I'm very excited to have you here today because you specialize in trauma. For our listeners out there, I've done a couple of episodes kind of broadly on mental health and speak about my own personal experiences with therapy, but for anyone out there who is maybe brand new to just addressing their own mental health, can you just help us understand what is trauma? Like, how would you define it? And maybe what are some examples that people would not commonly think is not like traditionally in culture considered trauma, but maybe medically and in your profession would be considered trauma? Oh, this is such a wonderful question. And as someone who is a child of an immigrant, I really appreciate young folks coming into therapy for the first time. I you, I call them um, endearingly first-gen therapy goers because mm. these are folks who are learning the language of therapy. And thankfully, I think there's a lot of great resources out there in ways there weren't for my generation, also for myself when it comes to that. The term trauma is similar, right? Like we're hearing it a lot in maybe like our everyday. But if I can broadly define it and then like get into the weeds of what it actually is, I think maybe that will help ground us a little bit. And so broadly speaking, trauma is defined as the emotional or psychological and physiological response that we get to a distressing or disturbing event or series of events, okay? So it's about experiencing something that is resonant and notable and often, if not entirely, painful, both emotionally and physically. And with that, it has a profound impact on a person's emotional, cognitive, psychological well-being And it leads to long-lasting consequences really about how one interacts with the world and the meaning they create within the world. Mm. So it can get really deep and existential. To your point about what we may not traditionally term as trauma, I think 
Maybe it's an unpopular opinion, but I generally like people using psychological terms Mm. in their everyday. I know that it can come with its own caveats. For example, we don't want to misuse terminology. However, using it more often to destigmatize it, I'm all Mm. for. So you're going to hear a few types of trauma that I want to mention, categories, if you will, and then maybe we can talk through a little bit of that. Maybe you've heard of them or your listeners have heard of them. So the first and most common is acute trauma. So this is often a single event or origin trauma. A highly distressing event occurs, such as a car accident, a natural disaster, heaven forbid, a, a violent assault, and it has happened. And the person who's experiencing this did not have prior experiences with this. So that it's an, an acute and single origin type of trauma. Then you have what is common, uh, commonly referred to as complex or chronic trauma. This type of trauma, chronic and complex trauma, I use those terms interchangeably as we do in our field, often refers to a prolonged repetitive exposure to a stressful or traumatic situation. So that could be ongoing abuse or neglect or living through a war zone Mm. or wartime. I've seen an uptick in this particular type of trauma, or at least the talking of, not saying it has increased Mm -hmm. by any means, but more people are talking about developmental trauma or what we refer to as attachment trauma. And so this has to do with Trauma experienced during critical periods of development, uh, particularly in childhood, that have long-lasting effects on someone's ability to form and maintain healthy relationships and partnerships. Mm. And then finally, I know there's a lot, right? So as we get into like the broad definition, but then we start realizing like there's so much to it that it's so dimensional. So many different types. That's right. Yeah. Second one I want to mention, this is obviously not an exhaustive list, but again, another common one I'm kind of highlighting the common four is secondary trauma. This is sometimes referred to as vicarious trauma. You see this a lot more when people are indirectly exposed to trauma. So for example, These could be caregivers or first responders. These are Mm. healthcare professionals or my awesome empaths who take on a lot and caregive quite a bit. The proximity to others who have experienced trauma, trauma survivors, Mm. and interacting with them regularly has absolutely consequential impacts on ourselves. That and being exposed to news and social media and images. Right. Right. These are sort of vicarious or secondary trauma effects. So those are the categories that I want to put out to your audience to really think about. Yeah, thank you for that. Actually, I mean, what I'm taking away from that is that trauma is so broad and so nuanced. And from the different sectors that you covered, I think anyone listening could identify with one of those. Most oftentimes we think of trauma has to be this, we think of the acute, like a big event or something, but it could be as simple as being on social media constantly and, and seeing, you know, images Or like everyone probably has a close friend or family who has maybe experienced something and then just from proximity, that means that you are, there is some impact to the way that you're processing things and maybe the way that you're being out into the world. And Janet, if I can add, I think what's happening, what I'm hearing often, I should say, is that there are a lot of people who will gaslight themselves out of believing Mm. that their trauma is not severe enough or important enough or meaningful enough to even work on. And that's a very harmful and scary idea. So Mm. that uh, developmental trauma I talked about or that attachment trauma where I see young adults 
and they're like, well, that happened to me when I was a child, or it's not as if I experienced X, Y, Z, and then they often compare their lived experience to a single origin traumatic event. And yes, that may be true. That's not what you experienced. It's just as valuable and impactful, though. And I think there's some coming to acceptance before working on oneself that needs to happen absolutely in trauma work. Yeah. I mean, thanks for sharing that perspective as well. I can definitely identify with that. I think as a, you know, second generation Asian American woman and also having a lot of friends who grew up in immigrant homes, I think there's oftentimes this like focus on, um, yeah, like you kind of, you fight on, right? You <laughs> Like whatever, whatever experience that you have, you, the focus is on the goal and to kind of like minimize any type of experience that you're going through, any kind of stress that you're going through. So I want to just kind of echo that for any of our listeners out there to be open-minded and be okay with like owning experiences that you've had. And I think especially in the time that we are going through right now in the world, it's very common. Do you know what the secret is to keep a baby's skin healthy? The secret is a diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. You've heard me talk about Pampers Swathers on our podcast many, many times now, and that's because Pampers Swathers is the diaper for healthy baby skin. Pampers Swathers absorbs wetness better than a leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. And if you're a fan of Pampers, you've got to check out their new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, which clean better than Huggies Natural Care and are five times stronger, so they resist tearing during a diaper change. With free and gentle, mess meets its match. And if you're like me and you love saving and getting rewarded for something you gotta buy anyway, like diapers, don't forget to download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. You can redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the... Must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. So now that we've talked about the experience of trauma, I want to focus a little bit on ways that we can cope and deal with it. I know that many of our listeners probably understand the concept of therapy and have heard of therapy, but maybe only understand it so much as, okay, it's like you go to a therapist and you talk, or maybe I know that on a more severe case, you take medication, but there's such a plethora of therapy and especially, um, Monica, with what you work with and what you've studied. So I'd love if you can share with us a bit more about the different techniques of therapy. And I know specifically you have advanced clinical training in using something called eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which is EMDR. And so I'd love for you to just kind of touch on that so people understand what that is, if it's an option for them, 
and maybe other somatic mindfulness-based interventions? Absolutely. Yes, there is a wide range of treatment options for someone experiencing the effects of trauma, no matter what category, as we just discussed. And I do think, uh, not to minimize the others that you had mentioned, they're helpful. I'm biased, uh, as you shared my training goes. So I do believe that trauma will show up in your body first Mm -hmm. and foremost. And so if you're not incorporating any type of mindfulness or somatic-based experiencing, which I'll get into a moment, I think it will get you there, right? But when you begin to intellectualize your trauma maybe entirely too much, Mm -hmm. it may not get to the the sleep disturbances or nightmares or the panic attacks or the depression, right? So there are things that can help. But I'll go into that mouthful of an intervention you described, (laughs) which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing or EMDR. I'm grateful to hear that people are talking more about this specific type of intervention. And it is one of many. So just to reiterate, um, one of many types of interventions we can use. So EMDR, uh, it's hard to know where to begin. When people think of EMDR and you begin to say, like, Google what EMDR is, most people characterize EMDR with the eye movement part, Mm. right? So what looks like hypnotism, it is not, by the way, where you have what we therapists call bilateral stimulation. And it's the moving between two hemispheres, right and left brain hemispheres, in which while we're experiencing and recalling that traumatic event that has occurred, we are also trying to mitigate where it's getting stuck in your working memory Mm. and beginning to create perspective. And honestly, I'll use another technical term here. The technical term is tiration. What ends up happening is that when we experience tiration, which is essentially a fundamental concept of somatic experiencing, it involves addressing trauma in manageable and small doses where a therapist and client work together to both gradually explore the traumatic experience itself through narrative, through talking through it, through storytelling. But when we're doing the bilateral stimulation part, right, the eye movement part, what ends up happening is that the client, the person experiencing that stimulation, is actually feeling those physiological emotions associated with that trauma Again, Mm. but you're doing it in a safe environment, hopefully, with the person you feel is safe and trustworthy, i.e. your therapist. And you're moving in between states of activation, fight and flight, and then deactivation, rest and digest, right? So the back and forth movement allows the nervous system to reprocess and discharge stored energy from those traumatic experiences gradually rather than all at once. This is also called pendulation, if anyone's curious. Mm. (laughs) So all before you get to this part, though, you go through uh, quite a bit of what we call in EMDR uh, the first phase, which is resourcing. There can be a lot of talk therapy before you even get to the actual phase of doing the bilateral stimulation and Mm. then eventually the reprocessing, because we want to know that ethically, safely, that you have resources outside of therapy, that you have the coping skills in place for when you experience this type of EMDR, because it can get intense. Mm. It can get really intense. During EMDR, we might also do uh, somatic touch. Using gentle or guided touch, some people know this as emotional focused tapping, or EFT. Mm -hmm. 
And simple tapping techniques combined elements of traditional psychotherapy and sort of acupressure. And it allows sort of moderation to ground oneself back into a place of reorientation rather than disassociation. Ah. There's a lot of moving parts when it comes to EMDR. They're phases, quite literally, when you are trained. And all of it requires a lot of trust, Mm. uh, as you can imagine, because for someone, let's say, who's experienced physical harm or Mm. sexual trauma, what we're telling you to do is go back into your body, which has been associated with perhaps really unsafe and unsettling experiences. Mm -hmm. And so to do that in the first place, we need to make sure that we're ready for it. Because even though the bilateral stimulation and, you know, stops when the session is over, that doesn't mean the effects of that still won't linger. And so even after EMDR, which I've gone through uh, myself, even after EMDR, how it manifested for me was insomnia and really Mm. bad sleep disturbances For other people, for some of my clients, they tell me they have like the best sleep they've ever had. So I don't know, right? right. Like the consequences of EMDR as you're working through it can be tough. So why go through all of that pain again and heartache, right? Well, aside from re-centering your nervous system and recalibrating it, I should say, towards the end of EMDR, there is a reprocessing part, Mm -hmm. right? As far as the acronym goes. And that reprocessing part allows us now, once the nervous system is calm, to then integrate back, we call it a positive cognition, or uh, what we would prefer to do and feel in that moment. Obviously, it doesn't feel true then when you first start, but as your nervous system calms, you begin to find other possibilities. Your mind opens up more. You're no longer in sort of a risk assessment mode constantly or a hyper or hypovigilant mode. I hope that gives you some idea of what EMDR is without getting too far down the rabbit hole. Yeah, thank you. No, I think that was a great level of like, it's deeper than kind of just a base explanation, but you didn't go super, super technical. So I appreciate that. I mean, but what I was drawing out of that is basically like beyond just like using talk therapy or letting the patient or the client, however you want to refer to the person you're working with, on their own conscious level recall something. It's another mode that might help them work deeper into an experience or into into something that they're processing. Yes. And I'll tell you to what we were talking a little bit off mic, I think there's something to this being a very culturally relevant technique for folks who say their English is not their first language mm. or for folks who do not have Um, sort of a built-up emotional literacy, or as what trauma often does, you get sporadic memories. Mm. You can't recall and put to words the things that you've experienced. However, it's somewhere they're felt. And Mm. so by, by being able to tap into your body and pulling that thread, it allows just a different um, entry point to healing in a way that doesn't rely solely on verbal articulation. Ah, wonderful. Yeah, that was that was great. That was mostly what I was um, was hoping to get at is just to understand that there are all these different modes of therapy beyond just talk therapy or just medication. Oh yeah, so, that's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I would love now to talk a little bit more, Monica, about this podcast series that you hosted or that you currently host. It's called I Need to Ask You Something. And it's where you sit down with teens and their parents, friend or partner, and you discuss a lot of the major issues like climate change, isolation, all of the host of things that we're experiencing in our world today. Can you share a little bit about this project, how it came about, and maybe some key discoveries that you made about youth mental health um, during this period? Because that's that's a massive, massive undertaking. But mm. I'm actually very curious for, um, you know, I'm considered a gen millennial. I'm considered millennial. And yeah, I'm curious, like Gen Z and kind of the the people that you're speaking to, what are some of the things that are coming up that they're facing? I'll start with how I believe this project came about. I think there was an obvious and profound need of listening to young folks and particularly Gen Zers who are our wonderful guests on the show and genuinely wanting the essence to be their voice forward. So even at the inception of the project, Lemonada and the Jed Foundation who partnered together to create this show, had young folks chime in Mm. on how, I mean, through the entire process, uh, we heard from a group of young folks who are mental health advocates themselves come together to share what sounds good, what doesn't, the direction they felt it was going. So we listened to them from the beginning. I don't think it's any surprise to anyone because it's been pretty well publicized. And I think a initiative for uh, this current administ- the Biden-Harris administration, as well as our U.S. Surgeon General, that there is a mental health crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for many people who are on the ground, we know that that had already been the case. But to receive such national recognition and attention to it, I think, is newer. Yes. And I think that is with the push and help of Gen Zers. So I think, thankfully, I'm very thankful and grateful that there is that kind of conversation happening uh, amongst this generation because I think it really contributed to the way in which we focus on these topics. So all that to be said, there's a mental health crisis happening, particularly amongst our young folks who experienced, I think, a huge loss Mm. uh, during the COVID pandemic and lockdown for several years and, uh, and who are so aware of the world they've inherited. And with that sort of a feeling of collective helplessness Mm. and grief, that there's also sort of this undertone of, I think, justified anger of wanting to come together to do something collectively. Young folks want to have these conversations Mm. because they want to feel empowered and to do something about it. This show is one outlet 
in the way that that happens. And I think the Judd Foundation, whose mission really is based on protecting young lives and mental health, youth mental health, has always been at the forefront of coming up with projects and concepts and ideas to do this. And obviously, Lemonado, with their profound ability to narrate projects, like was the perfect match. And so I was just lucky to be a part of it in some ways. Uh, I was a Judd consultant prior to this, um, but went through a whole process of being selected for this as the host. And this is not my world. Like, I'm a full-time therapist. Like, this is like the production side of things, like kind of yeah, I'm so lame. I'm like showbiz side of things. Is that cringe? I don't know. No. Um, that's that is that is not my world. I see clients every day, and I go yeah. home and I do it over again. Like so, the ability to do this was a huge shift, but a necessary one. Um, mm. And I was allowed to leverage some of my skills there. So, <laughs> I think that's the first piece. I think going back to something we talked about at the top of our time has a lot to do with the types of trauma we actually identified earlier. Mm -hmm. A few of our episodes are not because we meant this to happen, but I think kind of examples of different types of trauma. So mm -hmm. one of our most e recent episodes that dropped is a an interracial couple in the Deep South, Robert and Kiri, who are asking, should we stay in a place or community that has caused harm and violence and discrimination to us, or mm -hmm. should we go? That's racialized trauma, right? right. We talked to Tamara and Rose, who are first-gen college students uh, and children of immigrants. That's intergenerational trauma, right? right? And then we talked earlier about secondary trauma or vicarious trauma. That's Harley Ann and her mom, Rachel. Harley Ann got into a car accident and lost her leg. Mm. And Rachel was, her mom, was her caregiver. So I think in so many ways, we're touching on these things indirectly through their stories. All that to say, you asked me, what did I learn from, from listening <laughs> in on all these things? Because it was like a transformative process. I learned so much. And I think, sure, uh, yeah. I think I also just had a, I felt better about the future. I felt a little resolved and like, oh, okay, we have yeah. this generation of people who are willing to talk about things in ways like I think we all kind of struggle with. The first is the emotional literacy that young folks have and you could contribute you can attribute that to access to I don't know social media mm. or what have you but their ability to access language be vulnerable and to take that risk mm -hmm. or what I would feel is a risk but for them sort of boldly sharing parts of themselves right. was something that I consider brave and courageous that maybe they don't maybe they're just like this is who I am yeah. right <laughs> The other thing that I learned about sort of just listening in is that because there's a difference, though, in the way that young folks talk with their parents in particular, mm -hmm. not every episode we had was between a child and a parent or caregiver, but mm -hmm. there were a few that were, you can see the difference. And I think if I'm really honest, like see the struggle that sometimes like young folks are talking like a completely different language to their parents and they have to, and I'm there as a facilitator to kind mm -hmm. of translate that and nudge it along parents can, it's a skill they don't have yet, uh, right? Because their parents didn't talk about these things right, and they're right. learning as they go. So you have these young folks saying, mom, dad, whomever, I want to talk about these things with you. And I think parents are on board too, but they're also like, but I don't know how, uh, you know? Yeah, yeah. That and is so a very good this, point. You see like an imbalance mm -hmm. in that. And, you know, it sounds simple, but I'm sure if you and I both unpacked it for a while, it wouldn't be, which is young people are really at its base asking for their parents or whomever to genuinely listen. 
Like mm. active listening is a skill. Yes. And we usually just sort of write that off as like, oh, I'm, I'm listening, I'm here. But actively listen and understand, right, and provide an empathetic response mm. is a lot harder for a parent, I imagine. I'm not a parent myself. Well, I take that back. I have a golden retriever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of those people. Um, but it's different, right? Um, yeah. To actively listen and to not solution, you know, yes. like go into solution mode because they're watching their child, you know, feel hurt Pain, and they right. want to fix it immediately. And that is absolutely not what young people want. Right. Like eventually they'll come to find their own solutions and conclusions. But initially I found so many of young folks just really wanting their parents to listen and to validate their experiences. Mm. And if that were so easy, why wouldn't everyone do it? Right, right. I realize I'm rambling, but I want to get no, your thoughts on no. that. No, yeah. yeah. I think that's a great takeaway. I mean, knowing first of all that Gen Z is very, or, you know, they're very well versed in being able to talk about their emotions. And then in contrast, a lot of times those older figures, whether they're parents or aunts or uncles or teachers um, who are of our, I would consider like my generation maybe, and is not as like well-versed in, what was it that you use? Like emotional? Emotional literacy. Emotional yeah, like literacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that already right there is a tension point that I could see for our listeners. If they, whether they identify as Gen Z or millennial, knowing that that's something that they can work on, what, like, how would you suggest someone who wants to improve the ability to support? So whether that's increasing their emotional literacy, learning how to active listen and how to, how to support someone, do you have any suggestions for like where to start, whether that's resources or exercises or an approach? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So a few resources. I have to say, part of me is not just saying this, but I have to (laughs) caveat, shameless plug. I really do think the Jed Foundation does an incredible job with their mental health resource center. That's literally what it's called, mental health resource center. We also link it to our own podcast. Um, So if you go to our website or purely the podcast, you'll be directed to that resource center. And it so much as categorizes, are you a person that needs help or wants to help others? Mm. So there is that differentiation, which is why I plug it, because I think For so many of us, we might not be the one in need, Mm. but just feel so helpless and wanting to provide support. So there are resources catered and curated for both kind of audiences. So that's that's sort of a resource there I'm going to throw out. Okay, when I work with couples in therapy, one of the first things, one of the first exercises that we do, because we as humans, we overcomplicate things, right? And we (laughs) overanalyze things. So one of the first things we do is an act, purely basic act of listening exercise, right? So one person shares their thoughts and feelings. The other person literally, without their own commentary, opinion, recites it back. What did Mm. you hear? I know this sounds like riding a tricycle, like riding a bike with extra wheels, but I don't know about you. Like all jokes aside, I didn't learn that growing up. Right. Like I grew up in a household where, you know, it was the bootstraps mentality or Mm. it was the like, work hard, work through it, you know, um, don't talk about it too much because then you're just going to have bad energy come right, to you, right? right? Like things like that. So it actually, as you think about it and kind of get into it, it's not too bad of an exercise. So then it goes as far as to once one person has recited what they heard, the other person has to confirm or clarify what they said, right? So you really get a base mm. of how well you actually communicate with the other person. 
So that's one piece. That's great. I don't know. If, how do yeah. you feel about that? I mean, I think to your point, like it sounds like such a simple exercise, but I would challenge people to try to do it. And yeah. the difference between hearing something and actually listening, because they'll probably be surprised that you cannot actually recite exactly what the other person was trying to communicate. Right. And when we're in an activated state, when we're feeling yeah. defensive, it's depending extra challenging. on our attachment style, if we're noticing we're avoidant, we might have a hypo aroused state get really shut down. Mm. What appears like stonewalling, but for a lot of folks who have past trauma is not, it's actually like feeling really lost and sort of Mm. dejected and not knowing what to say because they're worried if they say something, it'll just, you know, uh, make it worse. Whereas like someone who's perhaps more on the anxious attached scale will be really proactive and needing an answer right now, Mm. right? And want to work it out right now because for them physically, in a hyper-aroused state, it actually feels more uncomfortable to sit in sort of like this ambiguous, this unresolved yeah. quietness. So there's a lot to it, but I think knowing what's happening in your body, maybe knowing a little bit about your attachment style, and then mm. practicing active listening skills can help. Yeah. Those are three very different places that are all really amazing places to start. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Monica, to wrap us up today, I would love to hear from your perspective as a therapist and an educator running your own group private practice. I'm sure you're very busy and you have a lot going on and you're exposed to so much. How do you personally define wellness and what is like one wellness practice that you're really into at the moment? Okay, Janet, you make my job easy because in your intro to your podcast, you (laughs) list off a definition for wellness. And this is actually a really dimensional and holistic definition of wellness. Mm. I really do believe in the intersection of that spiritual, emotional, Mm. vocational, environmental, right, state of wellness. So for me, some people look at it as a pie chart. I kind of look at it as sort of this complicated web in my mind. But mm. I think wellness is a sort of dimensional undertaking that can feel overwhelming, but does require some tending to or at least mm. checking in on different aspects of your life. Um, relational being another one I forgot to list. But so I like I like your definition there. For my wellness practice, I'm going to go back to basics, baby, because yeah. sleep <laughs> is <laughs> sleep routines. I read this awesome book called Why We Sleep. Mm. And if you're if you nerd out about like neuroscience and like uh, neuropsychology, you'll really like this book. But it is all about if you didn't already know sleep was important, it it really dives into understanding why both Mm. for your emotional state and your brain and your ability to function, period. And for me, I have been working so hard to reclaim some sleep, Mm. routine sleep, and to really kind of get into the analytics of deep sleep. So that is my wellness practice for the last couple months that I've been really working hard to tend to. That is great. I've done an episode, I'll probably do more follow-up episodes of, yeah, sleep and the importance of sleep and how it's once again so easy to say, but gets really complicated. I'm someone who is not very good about my sleep routine, but have noticed that when it is done well, it makes a huge difference in my overall wellness. So. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Monica, for being on this episode. Thank you. We've learned so much, and I hope for our listeners as well um, that they've, you know, if not taken some piece away, at least piqued their interest. Um, if anyone wants to learn more about you and your work or find you online, where can they where can they find you? 
Absolutely. So um, you could find me indirectly through our awesome podcast we mentioned called I Need to Ask You Something, wherever you get your podcasts, of course, just like this one. And if you want to find me on Instagram, I am a mindful healer. Love that. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to my Instagram and leave a comment on the Instagram post. Or if you are on Spotify, listening on Spotify on your phone at this moment, you can also leave me a message on the Spotify app now. That's a new feature that they have, which is really cool. um, And I love reading those messages. So please try that out if you have it. And if there are certain topics that you want to hear me cover in Living Well with Janet, just because the topic of wellness is so broad, I would love to know what is it that you're interested in? What do you want me to look into? What do you want to know about my personal experiences in relation to? You can leave a comment again on Spotify or on Instagram, or you can DM me, or you can send an email to hello at asianbossgirl.com. Once again, this is your host, Janet. I can also be found on Asian Boss Girl, the podcast for the modern day Asian American woman with my good friends, Helen and Mel, who are also hosting their own shows, which you can catch on the same feed, new episodes every Tuesday. You can follow ABG on Instagram at Asian Boss Girl and me, Janet, at Janet W. That's Janet, the word double, and the letter U. Catch you all next time.